Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Viewpoints Network podcast. My name is Jonathan Ramirez, news reporter and assistant editor for Viewpoints. Last night, I interviewed someone named John Guzman, and he is currently building an event that unites all members of all sides of the political and religious spectrum to talk and hang out and maybe even find some common ground. We met in a Denny's, so please excuse the background noise. But I had a great conversation with him, so here's the podcast. All right, John Guzman. Welcome to my podcast. We're here in Denny's. This is now take two. <laughs> tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, Jonathan, it's my pleasure to be here today. I'd love to tell your audience where we met. That's okay, last year. Uh, where we met last year at the rally? Yeah. We were at the rally, and I remember just really being inspired by you because... Uh, I'll talk more about the people who were at the rally, but you had also covered another rally on the other political spectrum, and I really appreciate that you felt that you were listening to both sides, and I just wish more people in this day and age would be doing what you're doing, so I appreciate that. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, so, yeah, tell, tell me a bit about your like your name, who, who you are, sure. your well, age. <laughs> you may not get my age, but okay. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm in my 40s, okay? All right. I feel younger. My name's John, uh, John Mike. Mike is my middle name, Guzman. G-U-Z-M-A-N, and I was born here in Southern California, but I have lived international, uh, which actually shaped my perspective quite a bit, and I'll get into that a little bit later. I just wanted to say that the people at the rally, so you get an idea of who they are and, and where I was, they were very conservative-minded people. They were Second Amendment people, a lot of pro-life people. These were people that were former military, generally an older white crowd. Not everyone, of course, but this was a generality of the people that were there. Now, I wasn't there so much because I agreed with everything that they agreed with, but I was there because I wanted to show, share with them a DVD, which I purchased over 20 copies, probably closer to 25 copies. What's the name of the DVD? Oh, I'm sorry. It's called Paper Clips, and it's a documentary DVD that focuses on a small town in ten Tennessee, which I actually I visited last October. And at the time it was about 2,500 people. Now it's ballooned up to over 4,000, it's a small tiny town. And they actually created something really interesting at their school, their, school's, their, their town was probably 99% white Protestant. And they actually did something really interesting where they learned about another religion and it actually got the attention, the project, the attention of the whole world. So that's actually, I was trying to share this with some other people at that rally that were more extreme minded because I hopefully I wanted to share with them this DVD and give it to them to create empathy because it really created empathy in me to see how other people learn about another religion. Right. Excellent. And you told me last year when we met at that rally, you told me about like some kind of like things that you host and things you kind of like are in charge of. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, I've been really interested in in people. And to kind of give you an idea about that, maybe say a little bit more about my background first. In school, in elementary school and then junior high, I was very shy, really quiet. I had a very limited viewpoint, a very small, a very small bubble. I wasn't really to expand my bubble to get to meet other people even though I was curious about the world. And international travel actually helped me to overcome this fear. And I'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later, I guess. But um, to... Fear of what, if I may ask? I guess it was just the fear of the unknown. You know, when you grow up in an area where people seem to be like you, and they sound like you, and they talk like you, you know, someone else can be dangerous. 
At least that was my viewpoint at the time. And also I wasn't a really outgoing guy. I wasn't a social butterfly by any means. I probably turned 170 degrees change from where I was when I was just a youngster. Uh, for example, I never went to any school dances. I never went to any big school events, parties, things like that. But I actually did two things when I was in junior high that radically changed my life. Wow. So what was it that inspired you to do the kind of things that you do, the kind of events that you organize? Or can you tell me a little bit about the event, the kind of things you organize? Sure. What I decided to do is I wanted to bring people together from different backgrounds. And I was amazed that other people were trying to do it as well. And I use the analogy, I love analogies, so I may have a few too many analogies, <laughs> but I describe it like we're building a rocket ship. Because we have an idea, we want to get somewhere, we want to get to the moon, or we want to get to Mars, or you know, somewhere. So I'm actually still, in about a year and a half I've been doing this, on my own, my own dime. I don't get corporate funding, sponsorship, anything like that. But I'm still creating that launch pad, I'm still working on that. But in my research on interreligious dialogue, I've actually come across people that have inspired me, that are already have already built that rocket ship, and other people have already fired that imaginary rocket ship. So they're doing what I want to do in Riverside County. And it's going to take a little bit longer here, I think, because of the mentality, going back to the rally. That's what a lot of people's mentality is. And it's a little bit difficult to get out of that bubble versus, say, if we lived in Los Angeles or a very cosmopolitan city, it would be quite different. Okay, just for like the sake of clarity so people know what we're talking about, like what exactly is this rocket ship that you speak of? The rocket ship is, for me, is to bring people from different backgrounds together. And my focus specifically, Jonathan, is Christian-Muslim dialogue. There are other people that bring African-Americans together, Caucasians, blacks and whites together. Uh, there are other groups that are bringing conservatives and liberals together. So it's all kind of the same idea for the rocket ship. We all want to bring people, we all want to bring people that have different viewpoints together. My focus just happens to be more interreligious dialogue. Okay. Um, and how uh, do you plan to do this? Do you plan on just getting them together with, like, let's say, like, any social gatherings, any kind of thing that they can just, like, talk over, like, let's say, coffee and donuts? And, like, what kind of approach do you think you would go for? That's actually a great question. I think nothing's off the table right now. As I've been doing my research for a year and a half, I've learned that there are so... I'm, I'm a kind of a creative guy, a little bit crazy out there. And I think creativity is great because it allows us to look at different viewpoints. Sure, someone can be educated, but often people say, especially you know, people my age and older, say, well, I don't want to be educated. I know what I need to know, and that's all I need to know. Mm -hmm. I feel sorry for those people. I would love to share if they're open. I'm not here to twist their arm. I'm here to share information. And I think often people don't have that information that they could make an educated choice. Now, that could be background, that could be culture, that could be a variety of different things, it could be fear. Fear is a big one, we'll talk about that. In fact, I have a quote from Yoda I would love to share, and I don't know how much I'm going to sound like Yoda on this, so I apologize to him, but, uh, <laughs> our, you know, Jedi Master, little green guy, he said, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. So I think fear can be overcome, but we need a tool belt. We need something in our arsenal. And for me, it was 
a variety of things. And for you, it may be different. For your listeners, it may be something different. But for me personally, it was curiosity. I was interested about the world. Number two, I wanted to connect with people, especially if they were different than me. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to travel. I was interested in international travel. And I think those things all work together to create the person that I am today, wanting to bring other people together to share different points of view. That's excellent. I love that. And uh, is that what also inspired you to be there at that uh, Trump rally and that police movement, like that police, that Blue Lives Matter movement, uh, rally, like about a year ago? Is that what, like just those kind of like, just ex- just sharing different perspectives and just like getting the word out about the like the different kinds of things that you're doing? Is that is that the kinds of things that inspired you to be there? That's another good question. My background, again, from being quiet to having respect for other people. There's a book I'm reading right now and it actually talks about why we vote the way we do, why we see the world the way the way we do. And it's more from a Western perspective. What book is that? It's entitled, if I can remember the name of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. It's called Pick Up or Prius, How the Answers to Four Simple Questions Explain America's Great Divide. And two authors are Mark Hetherington and Jonathan Weiler. And I understand they've been working on the project for about 15 years. But what they find is very fascinating. They said that it's actually a focus on people's worldview. They say that one of the factors that make up our worldview is more fundamental than any other is determining what side of the divide that you gravitate towards is your perspective of how dangerous you view the world. Is the world a dangerous place? Is it where you have to watch people who are coming from other countries? You have to keep an eye on these people. Is it someone that sounds a little bit different or believes something different than you? Is it cultural change? Is this a danger to America? Is it a danger to your family? Versus on the other hand, there are people that believe the world is like a Dr. Seuss book without mm-hmm. the without anything derogatory, without any racism. You know, just, everything's good. Everything makes sense. Everyone's helpful. And you can go anywhere. Personally, I think it's probably a little bit between. But when I was growing up, I was a little bit more fearful. There are a few good things. They generally, these people that are more fearful have a respect. They have a respect for law enforcement. They have a respect for family. All these people that were at the pro-law enforcement rally, I don't think everyone was a bad person. I think they may view the world as dangerous, and this gets into their heart, it gets into their mind, it may cloud their judgment. I wouldn't call these people evil, just as someone on the other side of the BLM rally, I wouldn't call them a danger as well. Excellent. And how long have you been, uh, like, working on this, like, this launch pad that you've been working on? And uh, can you run me through, like, let's say maybe, like, the beginning, middle, and end of what you're trying to accomplish here? Sure. I started about a year and a half ago, and I wish I could say there was one certain spark. Again, it gets me back to you know being a student and being interested in other cultures and wanting to travel and then actually traveling. I, live, I traveled to Europe four times. I lived there twice. I traveled through Central America, South America, one year after the other. And then I was in China and Vietnam and Singapore and Malaysia for over a year, almost a year and a half, traveling on my own through Southeast Asia. So I think that really had a lot to do with it. But about a year and a half ago, I decided to start contacting some religious houses of worship in Riverside County. Paris, Temecula, Marietta, Lake Elsinore. And I started 
calling them up on the phone and I started sending them some emails. And it was just a simple question like, do you have any sort of program where you reach out to people from other religions, other backgrounds? I didn't specify, say, that I'm in Muslim people, but that's kind of, again, where my focus is, Christian, Muslim, interfaith, religious dialogue. And I got all different answers. I got replies that were like, no, we don't do anything, sorry. I got people, well, we're thinking about it. And I got people that wrote me back like, what the heck is interreligious dialogue? I never heard of this before. Again, where I live, it's not a cosmopolitan city. No. So I started writing and I sent out, there were days that my fingers hurt. They didn't bleed, but they were hurting. And I remember soaking them sometimes, you know, get away the pain. And then the next day I'd be back on sending emails again, picking up the phone again, trying to call, staying up late at night. And then I started reading and I started researching. And it's so simple. If you're, if you're interested in something, you can go for it, you can do it. Um, I, I'm kind of motivated by that story, but you have to have vision. There's a story about Walt Disney, and everyone knows him because of Disneyland here in Southern California. But he had the idea, the vision for Disney World. Unfortunately, he passed away before Disney World opened in Florida. And the day of the event, his brother Roy Disney opened it up and they had reporters and everyone was there to cover it. And one of the reporters asked a question, and it was sort of a bittersweet question. He said, well, he, the reporter asked him a question. He says, it's kind of bittersweet, isn't it, Roy, that your brother is not here to see this. And Roy looked up and he says, no, you're mistaken. He said, my brother Walt Disney did see this. And because he saw it, you get to see it and everyone else gets to see it so that's 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 what I want to share with your audience it doesn't matter if you want to bring blacks and whites together or Republicans and Democrats or Christians and Muslims or whatever your focus is you have to see it as a vision first of all and before anyone else can see it and so I'm still working on that that board but I've actually been inspired by other people that have created that rocket ship and have already launched it and I've been able to connect with them as well okay and what do you mean uh, you mean like uh, what kind of uh, things have these people worked on and what kind of like who are these people that you, you're talking about? Well it goes back further than just now even though probably 2016 presidential election was a big wake-up call for a lot of people. In doing this research in a religious dialogue I found that in South Africa, I believe it was in the 1970s, there was a group of people that wanted to bring blacks and whites together because apartheid was going on, black people weren't treated the same as, as white people at that time. So there were organizations that actually wanted to bring whites and blacks together. And one of the things that they would do is they would invite black people to come to white people's homes. And then the white person would go to a black person's home. Mm -hmm. And they would do this for several months. And then after they build a friendship up, they would go to like a restaurant. Like, you know, we're here, but they probably don't have Denny's in South Africa. But <laughs> they go to a restaurant or they go see a movie or they do something together to show their solidarity with each other. And that was back in the 70s. One woman I remember hearing watching this interview, and she said, she was a black lady, and she said the only time she ever had a white person in her home was when there was a police officer there. So if that is the extent of your understanding, whether that person is a white person and you're black, or vice versa, or you're a Christian and that person's Muslim, and, and that's the extent, and it's, it's sad. I think curiosity goes a long way. And you asked me about some other groups. 2016, as I mentioned, that was a really wake-up call. There was an organization called... 2016... Uh, the, the presidential election after 2016, President Trump was elected. Yeah. A lot of people 
on both sides were very emotional. I was on a cruise ship actually heading down to South America and it seemed like half the ship felt like someone died and the other half of the ship weren't necessarily celebrating but they were really happy and it was interesting to watch. It's like a mini microcosm of the world. So after that presidential election 2016, there was an organization called MADA, not MAGA, but MADA, Make America Dinner Again. <laughs> and they brought 12 Hillary supporters together and 11 Trump supporters together for a weekend <laughs> wow. to get to know each other. And no one killed each other, no one died. By some miracle. Huh? <laughs> You know, and get to know each other. And there's another organization I recently learned about, and it brings people together as well. It's called Better Angels. And actually, I'm sorry, I missed, messed up uh, the, the MAGA one. Better Angels was the one that brought 12 Trump supporters and 11 Hillary, or 12 and 11 Hillary supporters. That was one group. And then the other one was called, that was Better Angels. And then the other group was called Make America Dinner Again, which also was formed in 2016. Uh, by two young ladies who bring between six and ten people together different sides of the political spectrum to have dinner and to talk and not just them there's another gentleman actually that I communicated with several emails he lives in Tennessee where I visit in October and his name is um, Mc, Mc, McCulloch uh, sure if I've got his name here somewhere but let me share with you a little bit about him he's a former educator he's a white guy he was a principal and he said growing up there was that racial divide between blacks and whites because now he's probably in his 70s and so he, he decided to do and again I assume it was on his own dime was to bring people blacks and whites african-americans and caucasians together at his home he invited both his friends and they would sit there and they would have dessert and he said one of the things he decided to do was at first not to talk about religion or politics because unless you know the person it can be divisive heck it can be divisive I'm talking to some of my friends that are really extreme religion or politics but if you know someone I figure generally you cut them some slack generally you listen to them if you don't know someone it can be a little bit scary so he actually brought people together and I've written him he's written me and I would like to meet up with him one day uh, are, are you to share his name? <laughs> uh, his name is... And, like, and what he does? Because, to be honest, it seems really interesting. It seems like if more people were to get involved, like this can be a very beautiful thing. His name is McCalley, M-C, I believe, C-A-L-L-I-E. And he was actually featured on CBS News and other, I'm sure, local stations as well. Wow. But, uh, Tennessee, and uh, he actually brought... His, his organization is called Chattanooga Connected. This was probably four or five years ago. I think he's maybe doing other things right now. But Chattanooga Connected, you can look it up. Are they still doing these kind of things, these kind of events where like people from opposing sides can just gather around and talk? I think actually since 2016, it's become even more powerful, more important than ever before. Okay, so you like, let's say I want to be there one day. I want to talk to some people on the opposing side. Can I just... Can I ring up John we'll, Guzman? We'll and sign you up right now. Sure. We'll sign you up. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of it is is getting to know the person, not just the first time, but again, doing things with them, seeing life through their perspective, through their glasses. We all have glasses. We all see the world in a certain way. And I'm not saying that one person's way is right or wrong. It's just giving the person more information so they can make a more informed decision. I mean, I was fortunate enough where I was a junior high student where I was interested in journalism 
and that helped bring me out of my shell. I was a photojournalist, and I remember becoming starting to cover events that I wouldn't have covered otherwise. Right. And so doing things like covering these events, going places where I naturally would have been to show people what was going on. But then on the other hand, I was involved in being a police explorer volunteer and working for the police as a volunteer, not getting paid for it for five years. And so it was like a teeter-totter. I saw both sides. And I think so many people, you know, you're either one side or the other. And I don't think the world has to be like that. I think the world can be a beautiful place and we can see different shades of color or different shades of gray. Exactly. And like, it, it takes challenges to get there. But like in your experience, you've seen, obviously, you've seen countless people from different sides talk. Um, what do you, what in your experience do you think is like the biggest challenge that people have when they are trying to like have a find common ground? There are a variety of things that I can think of and some of the books I've read and some of the people that I've researched that are, are doing this have shared. One of them is that people don't even know about that groups like this exist. When I talked to someone in Better Angels, she said she leans more left-leaning. She's more a Democrat. But she says she has friends on the conservative side as well. And she says that there aren't enough conservatives. They want more conservative people to come in. She's like, if you know someone, let me know. And like in Riverside County, there are a lot of conservatives here. A lot of them are good people. They help out their community. They help out their family. These are good people. However, they may only see a small worldview. And again, it can be due to a variety of things. I think getting to know someone where we live in Riverside, it's not very cosmopolitan. So you don't necessarily see these people unless you seek them out. So one of the things I think that you can do is you can read a book about someone. You know, read a book about a Muslim person that wrote a book. I talk to some people, some friends, great people, and they say like, well, well I'm not racist. You know, I, you know, I love all people. You know, I, I don't have anything against Muslim people. I say, oh, okay, interesting. And so I'll give them a piece of paper. I say, do me a favor. Here's a piece of paper. Here's a pen. Draw a line down the middle. So on one side, just write down some Muslims that maybe you heard about in the news or someone put a Facebook post on that it's a bad Muslim or a scary Muslim, write them down. And they'll start writing down, they'll keep writing, they'll keep writing. And they may go for a little while and then I'll say, okay, great. Now on the other side of the paper, write a good Muslim. Write a moderate Muslim, someone that you heard some good story about in the news or yeah. that you read about. No, it's very difficult for them. It's very difficult for them. They're, they're, they're again, on that teeter-totter, they're leaning to one side. And again, a lot of people don't know the reason, and I think it goes back to fear, what we talked about with Yoda. Some people are really afraid. They haven't experienced something to reach out. And unfortunately, I think it's a self-propelling prophecy. When I came back from some of my international travels, I remember coming to Riverside and going to some conservative meetings, and I met, met some, some nice people, but they said, oh, where have you been? I said, oh, I was, I was living overseas, or I was traveling for over a year. I was in China, and I was in Vietnam, or I was in El Salvador, or I was in Honduras, Nicaragua, wherever I'd been. And they'd get this like, scared look on their face. And they said, wow, you must really be happy to be back home, back in America. You know, and outside there, you know, their big pickup truck is parked, and that was one of the names of the book, you know, Pickup or Prius. And the idea was that there are people that fear the world, so these people generally, not everyone, but generally, drive big pickup trucks. I know a gentleman, he's a nice guy, but he drives a Hummer. <laughs> I think he may be a little bit of afraid of the world. He may not know it in his mind, but he may feel it in his heart. And the author is also saying that, unfortunately, a lot of times the way people vote, is like, we like to think that we're 
we look at both sides of the issues, that we research, that we use our, our mind, pointing to my head, we use logic. But in actuality, the authors are saying that it's our gut. We go with our gut and then we rationalize those viewpoints. <laughs> awesome. That's excellent. So, um, how long do, how long, uh, how, how long have you been um, just like, you said you've been traveling internationally. Has there been anything like that you've seen in your international travels that like, like maybe personal experiences in your international travels that like directly that you think about as you do the things you're doing today with like the dinner with angels or the dinner like make America dinner again and the stuff like that? How much time do we have in this interview? Could we extend it to another hour? <laughs> <laughs> I've met so many wonderful people on my international in my domestic travels as well. Great people in America. My European friends say they may not always agree with American politics, but they, they really appreciate the people that we in America are some of the friendliest people. We're willing to help out, and I think that's true in Riverside County. I think that's true in, in the big cities as well. People are willing to help. In my own travels internationally, I've met so many great people. I remember being in Vietnam. I was 90% of the time, 95% of the time, I travel alone. Mm -hmm. I'm very bad with languages. I, try, I speak a little bit of German. I speak a little bit of Spanish, un poquito. Pero hablo español poquito, no, no mucho. <laughs> so I was in Vietnam one day and I was at a coffee shop. Started chatting with these two girls and this guy at the next table. And we chatted for about 15 minutes. They said, heck, sit with us. So I sat with them. And then <laughs> one of the guys said, hey, do you want to see Vietnam? I said, sure. He said, I have a motorbike. The girls have a motorbike. Let's get on a motorbike. I said, sure. So I hopped on the back. We drove around the city. And then we stopped on this bridge that was illuminated at night. So beautiful and they had this person that was there taking pictures for like a dollar or something and they bought a photo and they gave it to me and they said this is you for memory and I have a picture of two girls and myself and, my, and the guy and it was just a great experience. Another time when I was in China I met people that wanted to practice their English. Uh, one guy paid for my taxi, other people paid for my meal. I had people that allowed me to stay with them in their home. There's a great thing, if any college students are out there listening, I'm sure you're, you're studying hard, you might want to travel the world, especially after COVID, but maybe you don't, you're not rich. Well, I'm not rich either. But one thing you can do is there's an organization you may be interested in, and I don't work for them, but I love this group. It's called Couch Surfing. Couch Surfing. You can check it out. And what it is, it's, I would describe it similar to Facebook. It's not related to Facebook, but when you join, you put a photograph, you put some information about yourself. And I love asking people when I talk about travel, let me ask you, I'll ask you this question, Jonathan. Mm -hmm. If you won the lottery tomorrow and you could take a month off, two months, three months, whatever, and go anywhere in the world you wanted, or in the US, where would you go? Would, would you go to Europe, or Australia? Japan, hands down. Japan. <laughs> I haven't been there yet. I wanna hear about it when you come back. But So what you do, Jonathan, is you join this group, couch surfing, and you pay a small fee to join. Information, photograph yourself. Then you can find people that live in Tokyo, or Osaka, or one of these cities in Japan. You can write them and be like, hey, let's meet up for a cup of coffee or some tea. And if you're comfortable, Jonathan, and they're comfortable, they can actually host you. You can stay with them for free. And Japan is, I understand, I haven't been there yet, I understand it's one of the most expensive cities in the world, Tokyo. Uh -huh. I was in China for four months. I understand China is a lot different from Japan. Japan's very, very safe. China's very unique, very interesting. But I've used this group and I've met people, I've hosted people. And I have uh, some of the, maybe the young ladies who think, well, it's just really safe. I'm gonna travel on my own. There's also a reference system. 
So I have over a hundred references. Mine are all positive. I think it's like 125 or something like this. I haven't hosted everyone, but I've met some people just for a beer. Showed them my city. I also volunteered when I was living in San Diego and lived in Coronado for a while. I belong to an organization called HI. If you're familiar with hostels, it stands for Hosteling International. If you're not familiar for the college uh, for students, yeah, viewers, viewers. Hostels are accommodations you can stay at worldwide and you pay a price and you stay, but most of the hostels have dormitory rooms, so there are bunk beds. So you may be staying with six people or 12 people or 20 people. You have your own bed, of course. There are private rooms as well, but the one in San Diego was about $50 a night for a bunk bed. They have common areas like a common kitchen, a common TV room where you can meet people, and I was actually a volunteer for about five or six years. I would lead walking tours, I would help with cultural kitchen where we'd invite junior high students, high school students to come into the hostel. They would cook up a meal, and the people that were at the hostel had signed up, they get a free meal. So you might have a 16-year-old girl with her school who helped cook up a meal from England. And then you, she might meet a 22-year-old girl who's traveling to San Diego from England. And to me, to inspire people to do this, it's, it's, it's great. I remember once when I was giving a talk last year, this is all pre-COVID, and I want to inspire people, especially the youth, to travel. So I go around and if Kiwana clubs or Rotary clubs or if your organization wants to have me come in, I'll talk about my travels, my experiences, with the idea that the world is a much smaller place. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying that after my first international travel, I was hooked. I knew this is what I want to do. I want to get excited about it. I want this to be my job, my career. And there was this little boy in the audience, maybe 10 or 11, and he raised his hand. I thought maybe I inspired him. I said, what's your question? And he says, well, you know, that's that's not really a job. <laughs> and, oh, no. uh, yeah. and maybe he was the realist, maybe I was the idealist, but going back to the story about Walt Disney, I think you have to be an idealist, you have to see something before anyone else can see it. But you can also be inspired by the people that are doing it now, such as some of the people that I mentioned. Cool. And uh, you you really want to focus on like the Muslim Christian like intergenerative like inter like inter like re like religion like dialogue yeah and what is it about that that's so important to you why is it specifically Muslims and specifically Christians in a in like a room together that makes you want to want them to talk I think the reason is so important is that if you look I read actually just today that if you put Christians and Muslims together they make up over half the population of the world so some of my friends that are afraid of the world, it says, well, just, we're not gonna allow any here, or we're just gonna get rid of all of them. That's not a realistic motive. I mean, you can have people on the other side too. You could have a Muslim person that has a very limited mindset, has a fear mindset as well, but you're not gonna get rid of all the Christians in the world either. So I believe that we need to see common ground and find common ground. And some of these organizations I've been inspired by, they are Christian organizations for my Christian friends out there. You know, they say that one of the perceptions is that some Christians might have that, oh, if we meet a Muslim person or we visit a mosque on an open mosque day or we invite, you know, a Muslim to have dinner with us, that we're going to water down our religion. And one organization says, no, they just follow Jesus' example, that Jesus is love people and they want to follow Jesus' example. And these are Christians, some Christians out there that are not afraid. And of course, there are probably some Christians that are afraid as well. So I don't want to stereotype Christians as one direction. But there was a poll about three years ago and said that only 22% of Christians even interacted, even knew a Muslim person. 
Uh, it's like one out of five people. I think those numbers are just too low. Okay. And do you think that like those kind of low numbers do contribute to like the overall fear that people can have against like the Muslim community, like a Christian person may have against the Muslim community? Like, and do you? <laughs> can you rephrase the question? Just oh, a little sorry. Bit? Yeah, no, no, <laughs> I just want to make sure I understand. Which. Uh, do you think that like? Uh, um, Christians and Muslims talking to each other less. Like the fact that Christians, like they only like, the twenty two percent that you're talking about, like they. Um, do you think that like that small, low number does contribute to the overall fear that like the other side has against each other? Sure, I think definitely. If you don't know someone, how can you love them? And from what I understand from my Christian friends, they say that the greatest commandment is love thy God with all their heart, and their mind and their soul and love God and then treat your neighbor as yourself. And so my question to them is, how can you love your neighbor if you're afraid to knock on their door? There's a read books, we've seen movies or Twilight Zone episodes, but there's always this one house on the corner. And the kids are always afraid because they've heard stories about the person that lives in the house. And they never see the person, they never interact with them, but everyone talks about the person. One group that I came across that's a Christian group they say that they don't talk about other people, they talk with the people. So sometimes it takes just knocking on the door. There was one Muslim lady I had heard and she says that this Christian person that invited her to, to and her family to their home for dinner, that was the first person that invited her in six years. So can you imagine if you're Christian, but imagine if you're living in somewhere like Lebanon or a predominantly Muslim country, if no one invites you, no one knocks on your door, how would you feel? There's a, a gentleman that actually I started working with last year as a volunteer, and he is a former Christian missionary. He spent five years in the 1990s with his family in Kachistan. Kachistan is a former Soviet Republic. And he said he enjoyed his five years there. When he came back to the U.S. a few years later was September the 11th on the news he started seeing all this negative things about Muslim people he he didn't see any balance in the news and he started seeing all this fear in the US so he started writing a book because he wanted to share his perspectives he was on the the opposite he was on the end of hospitality Muslim people he said invited him to his home they invited him for celebrations for parties he had a great time he says I'm not Muslim myself they can speak for themselves I'm not here to put words in their mouth but I'm just here to share my positive experiences Another lady I met um, named uh, Moina, she lives in Fremont, where, near where I used to live several years ago. She started up an organiza uh, organization, I think on her own dime, and it's called Meet a Muslim. And this was after September 11th. She says there was a lot of misperception, a lot of fear, and so she decided just to go to a coffee shop. And she put an ad in the paper, and the person says, like, wait, you want this ad to read that you're a Muslim, you're going to go to a coffee shop, and you're going to answer questions for free? Just be prepared, no one may show up. People showed up. There were over 100 people there at her first event. She's had countless invitations from churches. She'll go to coffee shops. She'll come to your town near you. And she and actually, I found her. I wrote her some emails. She wrote me back. And then we began writing some letters. And what was really wonderful is that one of my friends, who's a really diehard Christian, I had, she had a birthday a couple weeks back, so I asked Moina if she would write on the birthday card, happy birthday, and she wrote, she didn't hide anything, she said, I'm a Muslim person, I'd like to wish you happy birthday, and greetings. 
she sent to my friend, a diehard Christian. I got a birthday card recently from my Christian friend and from my Muslim friend on the card. I've done something small, but it, sometimes it just takes something small. It's starting your community because you can easily get overwhelmed. If you look at organizations that I consider anti-Islamic, that are spreading fear, that have five million dollars, or they're, they're pay their spokesperson over $150,000 a year. Someone like Moina is paying for this, I, these talks from her own dime. So it, but we can talk one-on-one, -on -one. we can invite our friends, we can join a group in Riverside, in your own city. You know, join one of these groups and you can make a difference. And I think that's my last question for you. Is there anything you would like to plug in? Anything that you would want anyone to follow along with you, keep their eye on you? I appreciate the, the opportunity. I would like to... I heard a really great quote. I'm trying to... Ah, hey, I found it. You know what? Should I give my email or should I give... A, I don't know. Well, what? I mean, like, where, where, do you, uh, where do you want people to find you? If the people were interested in you. <laughs> You know what, I'm actually going to start an organization and it's called Upside Down Turtles, UDT. Again, we're still working on it, but I'm being inspired by others. And the idea, it's, it's a one minute video, and I'll send it to you, Jonathan. It's in Taiwan, it has two turtles, and one turtle is flipped upside down. So he's got his feet up in the air, and the other turtle comes over and actually gets underneath him with his, looks like, you know, his head, and flips the turtle back over. And I think that in America, we feel right now that the world is topsy-turvy. It doesn't make sense anymore. We're not communicating, we're not talking, people are calling each other names. And so Upside Down Turtle is, I think, where people will be able to find me if you're interested. And I wanted to end with a quote. I started with Yoda, and I said, so is it fear or is it something else? Well, I found someone named Abul El Walid Muhammad Abin, Ahmed Abin Muhammad Abin Rusht, or easily, in Latin, his name was Aver, Averroes, Averroes. And he was known to Latin re readers in the 12th century. He was a scholar, a philosopher, and a doctor whose writings on Aristotle shaped Western philosophy as we know it. And I want to end with this quote. He said, Ignorance leads to fear, fear leads to hate, and hate leads to violence. This is the equation. All right. And on that note, we are done. Thank you so much. My pleasure to be here today. Right, thank you so much for joining me. And that was it. John Wilson was a really nice and fascinating guy. I enjoyed talking with him. Thanks for listening and pulling through this far. If you want to listen to more podcasts, please follow Viewpoints Network on anywhere you get your podcasts from. But as always, this has been Jonathan Ramirez from the Viewpoints Network. Please tune in next time for another episode of the podcast.